I'm going to turn then to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And I'm just going to read uh, the first six verses. I read verse 6 on Wednesday evening in our prayer meeting, but it's coming out again for this evening, this morning. Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'll read that sixth verse again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we were to take a quick glance through Hebrews chapter 11 and look at all those names that are listed or mentioned in there and those that we today call the heroes of faith, I'm going to ask a question, it's hypothetical, but I'm going to ask it. If we could rewrite Hebrews 11, whose names of biblical characters are missing that we think that we would have included let's look at some of the names that are listed there's Abel there's Enoch there's Noah there's Abraham there's Isaac there's Joseph Moses and others these great men who as we're reminded in verse 6, believed God. They believed God. And I personally, I'm always challenged by the story of Abraham's obedience when God called him to leave his home and to head off towards somewhere, not actually knowing where the somewhere was going to be. That takes faith, takes courage. To believe God, to forsake it all and to go somewhere else. We've been praying for my friend in Hungary, pastor in a church in Dorog in the north of Hungary, Balash Peck. And uh, his father, who I did know, he died last year or the year before, um, uh, was a man who really challenged me because he, when he was a young man, heard God speaking to him and did exactly what Abraham did. He gave up everything and he moved to Dorog in the north of Hungary because he believed that God was calling him to go there and to plant a church. 
and he did it. And God gave him success. And, and his testimony, the man when I knew him was suffering severely from a stroke. But he was such a great man who ministered to me. And his testimony, like Abraham's, is always a challenge. To be obedient to God when he calls us to do something and go somewhere. And then there is Moses. Imagine having to fill his shoes. To go and tackle the hard and cruel Pharaoh of the day head on. Especially knowing that he once lived in the palace. And then to have the mammoth task of leading what may have been millions out of Egypt. And commence the journey to the promised land. You've got to believe God to do that. You've got to be a man of faith. And strangely of all the characters, Joshua isn't mentioned by name in this list. But at least it speaks of the faith that was required in tackling Jericho. It would never have happened if he hadn't believed. And we see the seed of his faith way back when he along with Caleb and ten others went to spy out the land. And just two of them seeing the possibilities while the others just saw the problems. Doesn't that sound so familiar today? When we want to do something for God, there are those that will just reel out problem after problem after problem. We can't do it because of this. We can't do it because of that. But Joshua and Caleb, they saw the possibilities because God was in it. Then there's mention of Rahab. And thankfully, other women mentioned as well as receiving back their dead by resurrection. See, there's a chapter that echoes the great faith and trust that these men and women had in God. And as verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And there's no doubt when you go through those characters and look at them one after the other that they all most definitely pleased God. They believed in him and they proved it in their massive leaps of faith. Now I know that the question I asked was hypothetical. Whose names would we add to the list? Because we know that what is written is written. We can't change the word of God. But I know that as I was going through that chapter, and as I was thinking of that question, I, I could think of four men that I would choose who without any shadow of doubt were men of faith. In fact, I would go further than that to say that the four men that I'm going to mention were men of exceedingly great faith. And we meet them when we come to the book of Daniel. And they're called Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Scripture tells us, if you go to the book of Daniel, that they were from the tribe of Judah. But when we meet with them and catch up with their story, we find that they've been taken with others, many others, down into the land of Shinar. What had happened was that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he had come to Jerusalem, he had besieged the city, and as a result, he took many of the people from that city captives. And from amongst those that were captive, he selected some of them who were to be in his royal palace. And these four 
were amongst the ones that he had chosen. And scripture tells us that they were to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Then scripture also tells us that he decided to change their names. And we find that Daniel became known as Belteshazzar. Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became uh, Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. But besides the name change, and this is where the alliteration comes in here, okay? In case you're wondering. Besides the name change, the king was attempting to change their culture. He wanted to change their customs. He wanted to change their conversation. He wanted to change their circumstances. He wanted to change their characters. And he wanted to change their confession. To become like his. And we know that he followed the false god. In fact, he followed the many gold gods of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. So what were these Hebrew men who believed in the one and only true and living God, whose name is Jehovah, what on earth are they going to do? Well, we immediately see in Daniel chapter 1 that they resolved in their hearts that they would not change. They resolved that they would not be changed. And they resolved that they would not comply. And they resolved that they would not compromise. They were determined within their captivity and their situation of being held captive that they were going to be faithful to the God of Israel, to the God of their fathers, to the God of Abraham, to the God of Isaac and to the God of Jacob. They were going to be faithful to the great I am. They were going to be faithful to the one who we need to exercise faith with here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And so we discover as the story moves on that the king wanted them, those that were selected to be in the palace, to be fed with a certain daily portion of food, which was the same that the king himself ate, and of the wine that the king himself drank. But notice that for these four men, they saw this as the first step in compromising who they were. And Daniel requested that a test take place, and that they be given only vegetables to eat and water to drink for ten days. And then afterwards, to compare their complexion with the others who would follow the king's diet and to see which ones looked the best or who had fared the best. And so the result was that when the ten days were open, the comparison took place against the other lads who had joined with the king's fair and those who had gone on this special diet. And in my mind, I can see them all lined up. These four and the others all lined up in front of the king and in front of whoever else was in charge. And I don't want to sound politically incorrect when I use what I'm saying this morning, but you'll understand. The king looked on them and he looked at the first and he said, Ooh, he's spotty and gaunt. Turned off by the look of him. But then he looked at the next and he said, Wow, what a complexion. 
And then the next were pale and forlorn. And then the next, wow, what a complexion. And they went on like that and on like that till he'd gone along the row. And the four were all seen, as the scripture says, to be in better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Then all the youths who ate the king's food. What had happened? Well, in verse 9 we read, it says there that God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. What does this show to us? It shows us very clearly that if we are willing to resolve in our hearts to stand firm and to honour God with our lives and with our lips and with our actions that he is already at work behind the scenes to make provision for us and his favour will be upon us. Now I started by saying that I would add these four guys into Hebrews 11 and to be honest with you they already are although their names are not mentioned. It's a little bit like Joshua, for this is what it says in verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In other words, the Hebrew writer in those verses is saying, I've only given a snapshot. I've only given an overview. There are many more, but time would fail me to tell of them all. And there's absolutely no doubt that Daniel Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were men of tremendous faith and resolute resolve in God and would have fitted nicely into this chapter and into the hallway of the heroes of faith. Now we know the two accounts concerning these guys. We know them very well because the stories about them stand head and shoulders above everything else that is in the book of Daniel demonstrating their faith and when you go back to Daniel chapter 1 and their willingness not to compromise in what they ate and what they drank really it was only a prelude or a practice for when they were going to be faced with even bigger challenges to their faith and the first account we go to is that of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego we read in the word of God that Nebuchadnezzar had erected an enormous golden image. And he had decreed, he had made a law that everyone, no exclusions, 
everyone in the kingdom, regardless of who they were or what they claimed to be or from wherever they had come from, whether citizen or captive, they had to bow down and they had to worship the golden image. This is what it says in chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But it didn't stop at that. There were going to be serious consequences for any that refused to comply. For they continued to say, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And we know the story. The grasses amongst the officials, they began to stir up trouble. And the record of these three men is that they do not serve your gods or they do not worship the golden image that you have set up. And the telltale say to the king, you know what you said. So therefore, you know what you've got to do. Some may have said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you foolish men. You knew that in disobeying Nebuchadnezzar that you're going to be thrown into a furnace that has been heated up seven times hotter than normal. Surely it made sense just to humour the king. Did as he asked and then when things quietened down again, well, go back to worshipping the God of Israel. But no, not foolishness. What we see with these characters was faith was at work. And note what they'd said. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, if he doesn't deliver us out of the fiery furnace, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, their faith in God kept them from compromise. Their faith in God kept them from falling into the trap that had been set for them. It was better for them to fall into the furnace and to know that in doing so they had been faithful to the true and living God. And so whatever the consequences, they were going to be the winner. They knew, as we read in Hebrews, that God had something far better prepared for those who persevere. Something that is eternal. And on this occasion we know how God stepped in and their lives were saved but for many the result has been completely the opposite. Faith in God has cost them their lives. 
but they have lost their lives knowing they have kept their souls and they have lived up to their testimony and God has welcomed them into his presence. See, it was either a case of fall in front of the image and worship or fall into the furnace. And they knew that to fall in front of the image would mean that one day they would have to be judged by the Lord. And that is a fearful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. And this should remind us that we too, every one of us, will one day have to give an account of ourselves one day before the living God. And the verses I've just mentioned that come from Hebrews 11, and it continues with, Therefore, because we're going to have to fall into the hands of the living God and give an account of ourselves, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come back and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and persevere. But preserve their souls. The other account is of Daniel. And we know it well. Daniel 6, it's a different king. He's now called Darius. And he is as full of himself as Nebuchadnezzar had been. And those who worked alongside Daniel had become jealous of his God-given ability. And so they go to the king to set a trap. And their intention was to get rid of Daniel. Let's get rid of him. And it shows that they knew how resolved Daniel would be in his faith. They knew he wouldn't trip up. They knew he wouldn't fail God. So they knew that they were going to get rid of him, or so they thought, because they knew that he would be obedient in prayer and therefore thrown into the den of lions. But they hadn't thought the scheme out properly because they hadn't counted on the faithfulness of God towards Daniel. And so the trap was set that everyone who petitions any God or man besides the king should be cast into the den of lions. And so, like with the other three, we could say, come on, Daniel. It makes sense. Humor the king. Do what he's asking. But then after 30 days, go back to petition the God of Israel. But no, like the other three, faith was more important than compromise. And what God would see happening in Daniel's testimony was more important than the king's bully boys and their motives. And so he goes to his house. He gets down on his knees and to continue to do as he's always done, to pray and to give thanks to God three times a day. And so we find he's captured. He's used to that. He's been captured before. He's been brought down from Jerusalem uh, to where he is now. Uh, and, he's and now he he's taken. Uh, and as he's proved God has been faithful in that first capture, he knows that surely God is going to be faithful again. And he's thrown down into the den of lions. But strangely, this king makes a prayer without even realising he's made a prayer. 
Because this is what he says, may your God whom you serve continually to deliver you. And God did. And the next day the king, after not being able to sleep, goes to the den. And there he finds that God has come and stood with Daniel, stopping the mouths of the lions and preserving his life. What incredible faith. Challenges me. What incredible faith. What determination to remain true and to remain faithful to the living God. The one who had proved himself time and time again in the history of their ancestors. And you can see why I would have loved to see their names written in Hebrews 11. They are amazing examples of faith. They knew what it was to live for God and to live for God alone and to please him with their lives and with their lips and with their actions but what if Hebrews 11 could be updated today this is the challenge would your name be found in there would my name be found in there I think of the times when I've acted in fear and lacked faith I think of the times when I've been silent when I should have spoken out in faith. I think of the times when I've doubted instead of demonstrating faith. I think of the times when I have compromised instead of being willing to count the cost. And I think back of the times when I've been as sloppy as custard in my faith instead of being as solid as concrete. And I have to challenge my heart as I challenge your hearts this morning. If this chapter could be updated today, would your name be found in it? Would my name be found in it? For we may never be taken captive like these lads were. But we can be taken captive today. We can be taken captive today by our peers who pressurise us to do the things that they're doing and yet deep down we know that the things that they're pressurising us to do are not things that are compatible to the standard and the morality that is found in the word of God. We can be taken captive today by society, by getting involved with everything else that is, getting involved, that is going on in society that is not pleasing to God. We can get captive today by those we live amongst each day. And we're going to be found in situation where obedience and commitment to our faith and toward God will require us to make important decisions. Will we stand or will we fail? We need to be men and women of faith and we need to make sure we don't compromise and we need to know that our lives are being read by men and women. They see us, they see our testimony and we need to ask the question, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we involved with? Which is bringing shame upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is not conducive to what a man or woman should be who claims to have been born again and made anew by the Spirit of God. And these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were determined, whatever happens, we're going to stand. We're going to stand firm. May God help us, me included, every one of us, to be resolute in our faith that whatever life or people or situations throw at us, that we will be determined to remain faithful. Remain faithful. A couple of verses 
cut some of them out, just come towards the end in 2 Timothy, that says this. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. I could bring a sermon on that. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Notice there's an if there. If we want to live with him, then we've got to die with him. That means we've got to be willing to die to the flesh. We've got to be willing to die to the things of the world. We've got to be willing to die to the activities of the world. If we died with him, then we will live with him. And only then will we live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, well, thank God he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. May God help us, every one of us, to do what we can to be a people of faith who stand on the word of God and live what we're called to be as God's children. Amen. Amen.